Hey guys, welcome to our first pop-up on Maine. Now, you may be wondering, what's a pop-up? Well, it is a way for us to start featuring some of our friends on Maine from time to time. We wanted to provide a way for them to share their personal stories with you. We've got so many people in our world that have examples of the way God has worked and is working in their lives today. So pop-ups are going to be personal story time. They're going to be another avenue for us to share great resources with you, as well as provide a platform for us to do follow-up discussions, maybe Q&As, after we've released an episode to kind of take you a little bit deeper. So last week, we released the podcast, Rock Your Relationship, and we talked about marriage, and we had such great discussion around turning a rocky relationship into a rocking one. So as a follow-up to this, I asked Pastor Andy and Leslie Smith to meet us here on Maine today to share their story. And guys, get ready to be rocked because (laughs) they have gone from having a rocky marriage to having a rocking one. They actually divorced at one point. I cannot wait for you to hear their story because God resurrected their marriage and they're here to tell you all about it. Thank you both for being here today. I know you guys are spinning lots of plates, and so the fact that you took the time to be with us today, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a joy and an excitement for us to be here. This is this is one of the few enjoyable things that we get to do spontaneously together. Mm-hmm. Yes. And oh, so yes. it's a privilege. Thank you for asking us. Yes, thank you oh, so much. Well, before we get started, I did just want to take a minute to say that I love and respect both of you so much. And for all of you guys out there listening, these guys are the real deal. So seen a lot of people through ministry, served under a lot of people. And I just want to take the moment to say thank you for being authentic. Thank you for being the kind of people who champion others. Like you get behind people, you believe in people, you speak life into people, And you just, you're lovers of people and lovers of the church. And so it it really is an honor to have you share your story with us today. Thank you so much. It means means so much to us. All right. So where do we start? I'm assuming at the beginning, kind of tell us a little bit about how you met and your courtship and like all that good juicy stuff. Well, I'll I'll jump in. Uh, You know, our... uh, our courtship was a little unique in the sense that uh, we met kind of uh, through a mutual friend. I would almost say in a, in a kind of bizarre way, I, I had um, been a student pastor at a church in Savannah, Georgia, and um, I had taken time off from that job and was kind of transitioning. I knew knew there was a season of transition for me, and so I was finishing up my bachelor's degree and uh, and so uh, I had gone back to the church. It also has a, a big school, and it, it was a high school. And I had gone back on a Friday night to watch some of the students that were in my uh, youth group play basketball. And all of a sudden, this girl that had been in my youth group comes up to me sitting in the bleachers at this high school basketball game uh-huh. and said, I need you to come out to my car. I want you to meet somebody. And I said, um, 
I'm not really interested to come out to your car right now. And so I'm in the <laughs> middle of doing something. And this, this, I just kind of, she and I had banter back and forth. And she said, I'm not leaving until you come out to my car and meet somebody. I finally was like, okay, I'm going to come out. And so I walked out to the car. And when I did, I, I saw this blonde hair, blue eyed, beautiful woman sitting in the back seat uh, with a couple other ladies in the car. And I got introduced, but I only really remembered one of them. And that was Leslie. <laughs> and so the, 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 the girl who had uh, asked me out to meet, you know, come out to the car and meet said, are you sure you don't want to go get something to eat with us? And I'm like, ah, I'm absolutely starving. I'd love to go eat. And that's kind of how Leslie and I met. I went to dinner with them that night and we hung out for a little bit. And um, she was, uh, with a recording group out of Nashville, and they'd come into town to do a concert. And then, um, so we hung out that night, and then they were coming back in a couple of weeks, oddly enough, for another concert in that area. And so we had kind of <laughs> talked back and forth. Back then, you had it was through phones, you had <laughs> sure. to pick up the phone, feel the weight of potential rejection, and all uh -huh. the weight of courage that it was required to hear the voice. <laughs> Say, yes, I'd like to go on a date for you with you. But anyways, so uh, I asked her on a date after her, like, when they came back in two weeks uh, uh -huh. for our, our concert, I said, hey, afterwards, can we just go get dinner after your concert? And she said, uh -huh. sure. And so I took her out to a really fancy dinner, Debs. Oh, I took, her, I, I took her to the uh -oh. Charlotte House in downtown Savannah. Okay. And I spent a couple of hundred dollars. I had set money <laughs> aside. I was like, I got one shot at this. <laughs> And then afterwards, at that dinner, I asked her to marry me at that dinner. Are you serious? Yeah, seriously, he did. Wow, I had no idea. You actually said... You I didn't even ask. I no, told you, you said, you don't know this yet, but you're going to marry me. Like, that sounds like stranger danger now. Like, I just, like when I listen to that back, I'm sitting here thinking, how creepy is this? But I did do that. That is true. And then I took her immediately home that night. We, we spent probably three hours at dinner that night. Mm -hmm. And she was leaving the next day. So I'm like, I'm taking you home to meet my mom and dad. I'm going to like, so I called my mom and dad, said, I'm coming over. I'm, I want you to meet, you know, uh, this, this woman I met. I woke him up out of their bed. My dad and my mom was like, what's going on? I'm like, I want you to meet Leslie. And uh, I told my dad, I was like, I think I'm going to marry her. And he like, it was this big deal. And then from that day forward, Every day I called her and told her we we're going to get married. And then three months later, I I had paid for a ring and drove up, asked her dad, asked her to marry me. And, and four months later, we were married. Wow. Okay, Leslie. So, like, what did you think in that moment? <laughs> well, I knew at the first moment when we went on our first date, I knew that he was a man who knew what he wanted and he was not going to stop until he got it. And I love that. Like he was convinced, or should I say divinely persuaded? I was divinely persuaded. <laughs> I was persuaded. From the beginning, which for me swept me off my feet. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, this is like, this is like this wonderful romance movie. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was actually an amazing courtship. It truly was. Yeah. So now I am very curious to know, what did your parents think? Oh, that, that we were crazy. Okay. <laughs> I still think they think we're crazy. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is, yeah, his okay. parents too. Yeah, both of our parents were like, whoa, 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 slow down. You don't even know each other. Okay, so you were living in different areas. 
you're at different seasons in life. You really don't know much about each other, but you feel this divine persuasion, like this is your person. And you're just like, we're going for it. And so you ask her, she's like, yep, I'm on board. Family's kind of like, what the heck is happening? So then what happened? You get married. I can only imagine. Yeah, so we get married, and now we're straight into student ministry, right? Yeah, and um, ministry. and both so, both yeah. yeah, both of us, you know, and and we loved it. Like the first two years were really great years. Uh, we, I mean, we did. It was like every day was fun. It really was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after two years, we um, then transitioned to a larger church, and and so. Promotion happened really quick for us. We went from a church of about a thousand people running the student ministry to a church of about ten thousand people running the student ministry, and so went. And you know, I'm just 26 years of age. She's 25, and we're running a student ministry with six full-time staff members. And you know, we've got you know, just just the grandeur of it went bigger, right? That's a significant change, right? And we go from a not a rural church, but a, a community, a city to a metropolitan city. And, and so everything heightened and things shifted. And, uh, of course we had a first child, which was just such a wonderful experience for us in, uh, Emma. And so now we're onboarding a baby and then, you know, we're only two years married or two and a half years married at that point in time. And, yeah. um, and now we have this, other baby or dare I say mistress, right? Ministry of a bigger, huge, uh, that, that really monopolizes our time. And so, um, and so we just jumped headlong in it, right. You know, like anything else. And so in that we began to see some real big challenges for us because Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden we're married, we're home together. Uh, we're raising a, a baby together but we're also working together and now we've gone from partnership to uh I'm I'm the boss she's the employee because now the structure of the new job we're in she was on staff I was on staff but I was her boss on staff and uh and then and then you take into the dynamic you know the more opportunity the more driven and the more like you know push 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 and when yeah. that translated into our relationship it exposed some really great philosophical and paradigm uh, misalignments. One of them is, you know, the relationship all of a sudden was being treated like an organization and was being treated like a task on my end. And then it stopped being about an organic, intimate walk together. So that started really revealing a few things. Communications were difficulty. And misunderstanding and miscommunication begin to open doors for motive questions like what's your motive and maybe not what I thought and you know big question for me is I don't think you really respect me and really admire me anymore big question for her is I don't think you love me anymore right and then so now all of a sudden your your weaknesses get exposed your 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 unresolved uh, insecurities get exploited, and now we've got a mess. Now, yeah. now, now we've now we're five years married, and ministries blowing and going, pretty successful. It, that yeah. that never stopped being successful, and now um, 
she feels, I don't want to speak for you, but she feels ultimately rejected and unloved. I feel entirely frustrated and annoyed. And yeah. now we hit Mother's Day uh, 2003, and we're in a crisis of impasse. Okay. So let me ask this um, before we get into that. Did you guys, um, did were you trying to kind of like carry that on your own? Were you, did you have anybody around you that you were able to talk to about where you were? Or is it like you're in ministry and everybody's got this expectation, impression, and you're kind of like trying to battle it out and figure it out on your own? I think at that point in time, we were carrying so much for everybody else. And no, we had no one to talk to. Yeah. And we didn't talk to anyone at that point in time. Um, in even our families too. Well, I can imagine too, both of your parents were probably like, Hey, what are you doing? And like, this is God. And so like the, I would think if I were in your shoes, there would be a reluctancy on my part to kind of like, Oh, wait a minute. Like we, there are issues because you, you know what I'm saying? I can see where that could have served like as a, a means the enemy would use to keep you from doing that. Uh, yeah, well, and not only that, but we're in ministry. So, you know, as pastors, pastors are perfect. We have no That's problems. Right. We only have answers. <laughs> right, so right. to admit to admit to somebody, hey, we've got crisis. <laughs> there is this perception and pride, quite honestly, yeah. of I can't be vulnerable and admit we need help or that forfeits our ability to lead people. All right. Well, take us to Mother's Day. You're at this crisis and so what happens? So we're sitting in church, in church. I always tell people, just because you're in church doesn't mean hell can't show up and destroy your life. And so yep. we're sitting in church, in the building, right before service, mm -hmm. and come to the, the resolve that Leslie's going to leave, and she's going to go visit family. And uh, that turned into getting away to the beginning of our separation and divorce, where we never, we, you know, it went from a time of separation to we got divorced. And so mm -hmm. the next 15 months was a roller coaster of uh, a combination or a cocktail of hell and chaos confused together. And, um, and of course, as you can imagine that not only really brought a huge issue into our relationships, but in ministry, you, your marriage is kind of an important action attribute to your job, right? Other jobs, you right. can keep them and and uh, have a personal crisis at home. At ministry, that's kind of an, a, an essential aspect of, for your job. And so uh, I stepped away. Uh, we resigned. She moved back to Tennessee, and our life fell apart. Wow. So, Leslie, like during that time, what were you feeling? What was like, what was going on in your mind? Well, we experienced a lot of trauma through the, even the whole beginning process of when I did leave. Because we were youth pastors, the kids were so involved in our life. They were constantly in our home. Um, you know, we were with them, not just on Wednesdays and Sundays, but all the time. Right. So there was the trauma of that, which was pretty horrific. Yeah, standing up and resigning to hundreds of students in which you've you've really pushed and promoted and preached and taught and mm -hmm. you know yeah. compelled them to follow Christ and follow us as we follow Christ and now you're standing up saying man we 
we've screwed it up. We can't figure it out. So we're quitting. And we're going to have to leave you guys to fend for yourself. I'm sure you're in good hands. And we're moving on. We put the church in a, a predicament. We put the students. We forfeited the trust of parents, people. It is a devastation. And then yeah. because, the, you know, there wasn't really a, uh, you know, Hollywood reason of, of why we separated. <laughs> you know, there there wasn't an affair. There wasn't um, abuse. There wasn't money situation. It was none of that. Um, people created stories. You know, when, when you don't talk and we were very silent and we didn't talk to anybody about the reasons why um, we separated. People don't like that, especially... <laughs> unhealthy church people. Um, and so So they created a lot of stories. I mean, crazy, wild stories. And that was very traumatic as well because then the kids heard about it. And so that was, that was very traumatic spiritually, um, because we felt like everyone was backstabbing us and no one was really there for us. So we both just became recluses. We well, both did. Well, you know, in in a court of law, you're innocent until proven guilty. In a religious culture, you're guilty until proven innocent. That's what happened. You know, the stories, the narratives became the truth instead of the truth, the truth. And so then we felt like we had nowhere to turn. And really, we both lost every relationship that we had because all the relationships we have were revolved around we're the church we're involved yeah. in. And those were just, we lost them all. So we not only lost our marriage, not only did we lose our career, We lost our network of community. So we lost everything. Hey guys, we're going to break away for a minute to hear today's Coaching Corner moment with Master Coach Robin. I've asked her to share a coaching tip about relationships. Then we'll hop back into our interview with Pastor Andy and Leslie. Hold on because I can't wait for you to hear how this all turns out for them. Enjoy. Hey everyone, Coach Robin here. I just want to talk to you today about marriage relationships. I've been a credentialed life coach for many years and I've done a lot of marriage coaching um, with individuals who are just struggling in their marriage. They're trying to discover what in the world is going on here. You know, what is the biggest problem that we're having? And most importantly, how can we turn that around? What I've experienced over the years is that the common thread always seems to be the expectations that we place on one another in our marriages. We place such an unrealistic expectation on our spouses that there is absolutely no way they can live up to that. And in return, what that means is that the marriage struggles. We're disappointed, we're frustrated, and then our spouse feels as if they're always disappointing us that they're never measuring up, that they're never going to be good enough for what it is we're looking for. I want to talk to you about that for a second. Do I believe that there's supposed to be things we expect? Well, absolutely. The Word makes it very clear what husbands can expect from wives and what wives can expect from husbands. But nowhere in there does it ever say that your spouse is supposed to take the place of what God is supposed to do for you individually What always turns marriages around for the good is when they finally become aware that before they went to God about something, they had begun running to their spouse for the answer. A lot of times because the man has the expectation placed on him to have the answer, he's always trying to give the answer. 
But because he's not God, (laughs) he's not giving the answer that you're really needing. Likewise, the wife is expected to be that support to her husband. That's in the word. (laughs) And so she strives to be the rock, the firm foundation, the kickstand, so to speak. As much as we long to meet each other's essential needs, we don't always have the answer and we don't always have the level of support required. The answer that you're really looking for comes from recognizing that taking it to the Lord first is our answer. I want to say that again. The answer we're really looking for in our marriage, it comes when we recognize the need to take it to the Lord first. The Lord is our shepherd. We lack nothing. So I just want to encourage you when you're looking at your marriage and you're seeing that things aren't right, ask yourself this question. How realistic are the expectations that I'm placing on my spouse? Are there things that I'm putting on their shoulders that I need to go to God for? God is our rock. God is our platform. We don't need to put our spouse on that platform of expectation that is so great that we place them before God and that we set them up for failure. Our Father, the one that can see us through any situation, He is the one. I want to encourage you to go to God first. Ask Him what to do about your situation, and then ask Him, now, how do I need to involve my spouse in this? What can we do together? How can we agree together in prayer and see the situation turn around? So today's coaching tip on Maine is this. Don't place unrealistic expectations on your spouse. Go to God first before you go to them. Again, don't place unrealistic expectations on your spouse. Go to God first before you go to them. If you want to stop being disappointed, stop placing unrealistic expectations on them. If you'd like to step forward in this area, you can reach me at CoachRobinLegros at gmail.com or by visiting my website, stepforwardcoaching.net, I would be honored to coach you to an even healthier and stronger relationship. God bless you. We had to start over. She had to start over in Tennessee. I, you know, found a job after months and months not having a job. I tell people all the time, Egypt became our promised land because it's where we found Jesus again. And and so everything was stripped from us. It was hell. It was miserable. It was tormenting. It was just the range of emotions, the thoughts. Yet it's the place where, for us, the real turning point was when we had nothing so yeah. that we had no one so that we could only see the only one that could transform everything in our life. Amen. How did God meet you in that place? I'll speak for me. I think I was building houses as a superintendent. I was, I tell people in a culture and a society I knew nothing about. I'm a guy that graduates college immediately in ministry. There's a certain culture and industry that has certain um, dynamics to it. Now I'm in uh, what we would call back in the church world, a secular job. Um, There's a whole different set of givens and cultural dynamics in play. And I'm a fish out of water. I mean, I'm miserable every day, hating everything. And I can distinctly remember one day when we were going back and forth through attorneys, and it just was just a really bad day. And I can remember being in my truck, and 
getting an email from my attorney, getting uh, it had been months since Leslie and I were even able to converse back and forth. Our communication shut down to where we couldn't even talk to each other. And there's a fine line between feeling like you absolutely hate someone and yet you're so wounded because you deeply love someone. There's just there's just a fine line between that. And so yeah. I'm I'm just like, God, I just want to die. Like, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I bargained for. And so I can remember jumping out of my truck and where I was, the subdivision I was building in had an undeveloped wooded area. And I just ran in the middle of the woods and just kind of dropped down. And I was like, God, I, I don't want to do this anymore, ever. So, so here's the thing. I just surrender everything. Like I, and that day, of course, you, you know, my personality a little bit, Deb, but I'm a pretty big, big extremist and sometimes uh, good, bad, or indifferent. So that day I was like, I'm never getting married again. I'm not doing anything anymore, God. Like I just, I, I, I surrender everything. So if I have to give everything away, if I have to, whatever it takes, I'm just gonna, and I just made a decision that day. I was like, God, this was the woman I knew you called me to marry. So I'm going to love her from a distance for the rest of my life. Even if I'm, even if she gets remarried or I don't know what the future you is. You said that? Yeah, I did. I, I told I you I said that. I never knew that. I told you I said that. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not, you know, even if she marries somebody else, I'm going to love Emma so that Emma knows that I adore her mom. And, and even though like, I'm just going to be, I've got a child now, my life is, and I just went to this radical place of, I can't figure this out. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, I'm not bright enough. And I can't do this unless you change me from the inside out. So here it is today, instead of being broken, I'm just going to let you make me whatever you want me to make me. And and it was really, honestly, Debbie, for it was like for me about surrendering my life. It was like surrendering to Jesus. Uh, and it was a salvation experience to me to some degree because yeah. it was me saying, I'm no longer going to do this my way. And so I remember getting up because the other option was I don't want to live life anymore. Got back in my truck and went back to work. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. And so for me, what I did is I started taking the day, the mornings, instead of talking on the phone with extended family members about how crappy Leslie was and how crappy her family is and how crappy everybody is. And I just decided I was going to fill that time um, in in prayer and worship. And I'm just, just not to over romanticize that for a second. What yeah. that looked like is I put a CD in my truck and rode down the road and listened to the CD. And yeah. then when, and then I would get to my job site and I took a workbook Bible study and I'd go through it by myself on the work site in the morning and then I'd go to work and then I'd come home and I would eat dinner and then I I I didn't live in a really nice place at all it was that's a whole nother story and I'd go to bed about 9:30 10 o'clock at night and I'd get up at 4 and I'd go to a gym and then I do it all over. And I was like, God, I'm going to devote my life to hearing from you and being faithful and letting you do what you want to do through through Leslie, through Emma, whatever me. I am no longer in control of my life. It's all yours. Yeah. And, and that's that's what I did. That's amazing. I mean, you know, as you're sharing that, I'm sitting here thinking, we come to faith in Jesus. And a lot of times we have you know, we think we know how it's going to work out and we have big dreams and, you know, ideas and stuff like that. And life can hit hard and uh, things happen. They don't go the way we 
think they're going to go. And many times we have to find our place back at that place where we relinquish control. And sometimes things don't make sense. And it goes back to, you know, God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And we know that like he's good and that he's always working something together for our good. And so when we find ourselves in those really difficult places and you know, for the people out there listening today, you may be at that kind of place in your life right now where you your dreams have been um, dashed. You you feel hopeless. You feel like things are not fair, that you don't understand why things are happening the way they're happening. You may even look at yourself and feel to blame, like you've contributed to certain things. And so I just really want to encourage you to like hear what um, Pastor Andy said. It's never too late. You can just get to that place where you get back on your face, get back on your knees, and just let go, relinquish control. If more than anything, relinquish the need to just understand and just make that small commitment to say, um, God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to do what I know that I can do, and you called me to love. I'm going to love. I'm going to spend time with you, and I'm going to let you do what you do. And when we do that, God is a, he's a God of new beginnings. He's a God of resurrection. Um, he, he, he works in the most amazing ways that are so beyond anything we could ever do on our own. So thank you for sharing that. Now, Leslie, like on your end, like tell me what was happening with you. So I was uh, working part-time, going to school, getting my master's and had Emma uh, with me most of the time, but really, I think the moment when I realized that Holy Spirit was speaking to me um, in a way that I had never experienced before was about this was about maybe three or four weeks after the divorce was final. Um, Emma, who was three at the time, woke me up in the middle of the night because we slept together and she woke me up in the middle of the night and, and said, mommy, mommy, I just, I had the most beautiful dream. I don't know if you've heard this story or not. I haven't. Um, and I'm like, what was it, babe? And she said, I had a dream that you and daddy got married. And I said, oh, well, that's, that's wonderful, baby. And she goes, no, 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 I have to tell you about it. And she said, you and daddy got married and you had on a blue Cinderella dress and daddy had on a suit and I was there and there were rainbows everywhere. And so, of course, I'm just brokenhearted you know, because she doesn't really know anything that's going on. At that point in time, she didn't, she didn't know that we were divorced or um, she knew things were weird. (laughs) But um, how do you explain that to a three-year-old? And so I just held her and I cried and and boo-hooed. And of course, she was just as excited and and thrilled. (laughs) Um, But that shook me, like shook me, shook me. Um, So Holy Spirit spoke through our three-year-old child. (laughs) And and that's when things ripped my heart started like really, because I, I had a, a steel wall around it 
Um, and I just cried for several days. Like I, I just didn't even know how to process that or deal with it. Um, and it was what, maybe six weeks. You were at your grandparents and he took you, your granddad took him outside. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So it's like that same day. Um, she told her grandfather and grandmother who were retired ministers at the time. And, and so they were just, Mm -hmm. you know, very loving and compassionate people just, you know, just, just affirmed her and loved her. And and I don't know really said anything, but, uh, Leslie's grandfather had this tradition that when her, his, you know, grandkids came and then his great grandkids, he would take them outside and walk them by his flower bed. He had this really beautiful flower bed he was proud of. And he would walk out and they would just look up at the sky and look at different flowers and whatever. And as he walked out that day, when he walked outside, uh, they were looking and then he looked up and there was a re- two rainbows over the house. And so he comes back inside and he says, Leslie, you have to come see this. And she went outside and she saw the rainbow. So the dream that night, the rainbow, and he just simply looked at her and he said, God doesn't do anything by coincidence. No, he doesn't. (laughs) So that began a process. And so then two weeks after (laughs) that, um, out of the blue, she texted me, right? We hadn't, we hadn't talked Debs in probably nine months to a year. Like we had talked any, any communication was through the attorney or, and so we, we hadn't really talked the the day that the divorce was final. She texted me and that was it. Hey, just so you know, we're, we're officially not married kind of just because I didn't go to court and she had to go up here and that kind of stuff. So, and it was on your birthday and it was on my birthday. The day we were finalized in Cobb County is my birthday, 2004. So she texted me a few weeks after that whole dream and being at her grandmother and grandfather's and just out of the blue, she said, do you think we made a mistake? I mean, no, like, Hey, how are you doing? Hope you're well, just out of the blue. Do you think we made a mistake? And I remember getting that text kind of shocked that I saw her name pop up. Right. And, um, and so I said, yeah, I absolutely think we did. And so she said, well, what do we do? And I just said, I just want to start dating you again. Can we just go on a date? Right. Let's figure it all out later. And so for the next three months, every Friday, I would drive to Tennessee and get a hotel and take her out on a date and then spend the weekend just taking, just dating her. And, um, and then three months later we got remarried. (laughs) I love it. And then, uh, spent the next, um, year in counseling every week. Okay. So we said, you know, look, we know we want to be together that's first things first. Now we, we're going to get in counseling. It was so interesting because uh, at our remarriage, we got remarried in a neighborhood, a really beautiful neighborhood in Tennessee that has this beautiful courtyard area. Mm-hmm. So my mom and dad drove up. Her mom and dad were there. I was about to say, I wanted to hear the details. Like, did you do another wedding? All that kind of good stuff. So we did it like on a Friday morning. And of course, I went and bought a blue as close as I Come could, on. Cinderella blue dress. Oh, I bet you did. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, we'll have love to show it. you a picture sometime. I would love a picture. We need to put it on the. Um, we'll put it on the Instagram thing to so, share with everybody. So, so the, they can the see picture it. significant from the standpoint of she bought me. She she made me get a blue a blue shirt yeah. right that matched her dress and I had a black uh-huh. suit and so it was her mom and dad, my mom and dad, and just one sister and nobody else came. Nobody like no no other family members came or anything. And so we were taking, during the ceremony, she just had a friend said, would you just snap on a little disposable camera, some pictures 
just so we can remember the day we got remarried kind of thing. And one of the pictures when it was developed, no, several. several pictures when it was developed as the minister and us standing before getting married. And because of the way the photo was captured, it looks like rainbows all in the picture <laughs> over us. And so when Leslie saw that, I mean, we have that framed and we have it. And I, I think we have, we could show you that picture. I would love to see that picture. So we started down the road of getting remarried. And I, I think, I think the significant thing for both of us at that moment in time was we didn't negotiate our way back to each other. Okay. We surrendered to Jesus and said, okay, Holy Spirit, you, you got our lives. And right. it's amazing how he brought it back together better than either one of us could have negotiated it. Absolutely. And I think that when people always say, how did y'all put it back together? It really is. We didn't. And and it's amazing. Love cannot dwell in a place where surrender is not the atmosphere. Yeah. Say that again. Yeah. For us, it was love. So love true. cannot dwell in a place where surrender is not the atmosphere. Right. For yeah. us, people didn't have to tell us because I think for both of us, it was like, what's the point of being right on whatever got us here when at the end of the day, who we've become, we despise. So the only way to get back to peace, to live with myself and live with herself autonomously is to surrender. And every step past that was Holy Spirit telling us to take the next step. And that met us back and we intersected back together. So um, tell me a little bit about the counseling journey in terms of you found a counselor, you started going on a weekly basis. What did you, what do you feel like the Lord allowed you to discover kind of about yourself in that process? Well, the one thing that completely changed my whole life, and I know this may sound super simple, but for the first time, I don't know if you had, we took personality tests. Yeah. And we really delved into that, like intricately. Mm -hmm. And boy, that shifted so much for me. Just understanding, I mean, because we're polar opposites. We are okay. the people who I think any counselor would suggest or anybody don't marry that person. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, we typically are attracted to our opposite because they have something we kind of lack and we see that in them and we're like, oh, I like that. So y'all were like on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Like to the point of where our counselor was like, I've never seen a couple as opposite ends as the two of you. Wow. Um, and, and know this, we didn't go to a counselor. We went to a psychologist. Okay. So, so I was like, look, we blew it up. So I want to find <laughs> the whatever doctor of psychology. Yes. He's gonna, I'm, that's going to need it for this mind. Right. And so. But that shifted so that shifted much for a lot. me. It is very enlightening because you realize like there's a reason why you are the way you are. And it's so crazy how accurate those things can be. And then just to better understand, like, this is why they do that and how to meet people, how to meet one another in the middle and start appreciating the differences. What about you, Andy? What do you feel like you? I think counseling for me became a place where I could be vulnerable because yeah. we were remarried and we loved each other, but we didn't know how to be safe for each other yeah. because there is was such, um, you know, intimacy and vulnerability shares the same place as insecurity. And so when you begin to talk about those things that 
make you feel vulnerable or make you or, or, or really unlock intimacy, you can hurt somebody and damage somebody in those areas. So for me, counseling became a place where we could talk about really intimate and vulnerable subject matter about me, where she could really talk about me, but remove the accusation, accusatory language that then I would have taken as my identity and felt like I had to defend and no, 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 let me, let me tell you where you have. And it also allowed a safe place for me to communicate things I was feeling. And when that, when the tension or the proclivity for us to get a little defensive, there was somebody there going, let me tell you what I heard. And it was like, okay, it was almost like rehabbing our communication. Like, like we were alive, but we were on life support communication wise. And so therefore, if you don't know how to communicate, you can't have intimacy because look, here's the thing. We both learned this the hard way. Sex is not the pathway to intimacy. It is the fruit of intimacy. intimacy, When ecstasy precedes intimacy, it will destroy and exploit your insecurities. But when intimacy ends up into ecstasy, then it's the most beautiful, beautiful relationship ever. And so communication is a critical pathway to that, that we didn't have the ability. So, you know, sex wasn't an issue, but communication was. And all of a sudden we can't talk to each other. So screw you. I don't want to hang out with you. And you you know, you're crazy and and you're a jerk. And like all these things came up, counseling became a place where like timeout, you guys are alive, but your communication is on life support. Therefore, everything that you have available to you is not accessible until you get this right. Man, that's good. All right. So you stayed in therapy for about a year. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's not bad. Hundred percent. I tell everybody, you will never invest in something that'll give you a greater return than counseling. Yeah, and I love that you're saying that because it is true. When you have those communication breakdowns and you have been wounded, you've got trauma. It's so easy to say something and it be received differently than it's intended. You can, you know, get back in that place of defensiveness and you can just keep going around the mountain round and round and round again and have that outside person who's not, I mean, they're invested, but they don't have that, all the emotions attached to that to be able to like hear and have the skill set to kind of help you unpack that. And in the process, you actually, they're teaching you how to communicate. Again, it's a beautiful thing. All right. So you're healing, you're learning to communicate. God's beginning to just like do wonderful things uh, between the two of you. Intimacy is is growing. So kind of walk us through your journey back into ministry and like just share what the restoration season has been for you and like kind of where you guys are today. That was a tough one because when we did remarry, we were told by several, even pastors and and people in ministry, that we would never be back in ministry ever again, because who would want to listen to a couple like you who left ministry, your marriage imploded, you actually divorced. You know, it. we had so many word curses 
spoken over us. We didn't even know what that was at that point in time, but it, it was just, um, we were bombarded with it. So we really kind of just gave up hope for a while, but then we, then we reverted back to what we had learned in growing through this process of that surrender of, okay, God, if this is going to happen, it's, it's going to, it's going to be you. Um, we're not going to go, uh, try to make something happen. We're not going to make phone calls. We're not going to put our resume out. God, if, if you truly want us back in ministry, then you're going to have to open the door because that's really, I think the place that we got to where we just completely surrendered that. Um, but that was, that was a tough, that was a tough road to walk. I'm sure. And, and even like people who we were close to. We're like, how could y'all ever get back in ministry again? Nobody's ever going to trust you. They're not going to believe what you have to say. You're not going to be influential. Who would want to follow you? We had all that stuff said. So it's interesting because, you know, in our church circles and in the scriptures, there are verses that imply this, but the church um, is good at saying the call is irrevocable, right? With the challenge of that was our determination. Okay, I'm going to build houses. Uh, God has given me success in this in this season. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm closing more houses. I am, um, you know, close 50 homes in a year and building. And so God had given me just incredible favor in that job. And so yeah. we're just going to go to church and I'm going to be a pastor's best friend. Cause I know the devil's trying to kill him. So <laughs> I'm just going to be, I'm going to be that safe place that I'm going to be, I'm going to be his, his best friend. And so we're building houses. And, uh, one day I'm at, a gas station and run into one of my old youth, one of my old students who's now, this is two years later and he's getting gas in his truck. And I'm like, Anthony, what is going on, man? And so he's like, Hey, what? I didn't know you're in the area. I'm like, yeah. And ended up, he lived around the corner and I lived around the corner. And I said, well, what are you doing? Where are you going to church? He's like in nowhere. And I'm like, Oh man. So what's going on in your life? And he's like, my life's falling apart, man. And I'm like, gosh, man, I'm so sorry. I'm like, well, let's grab coffee. And so, you know, the call is irrevocable. I didn't need a platform. I just saw people. So I met him at a coffee shop at 530 in the morning, a place called the Cozy Cafe up on up here in Kennesaw. And after an hour and a half of sitting, he goes, can we do this every week? I need this. And can I bring some friends? And can I bring some friends? <laughs> Ended up, I had 15 young adult guys <laughs> meeting me at the Cozy Cafe for a bagel and coffee at 5.30 in the morning. And for a year, and all of a sudden it started exploding to where they were like, hey, can we bring some more people? And so we had about 50 teenage, uh, young adult college students now finishing college like in that area coming to us on a Tuesday night in our home having church in our home and did the same thing we always did. We just opened a Bible. We talked about real life issues and we followed Jesus. That was it. And so I just told Leslie, it's like, I don't need a church platform to do this. God is doing this. And so we were attending a church. We were, you know, being good members and, you know, I was building houses and God was, uh, there was an opportunity for me to become part owner in a residential home building company. And I thought, baby, Mm -hmm. this is it. This is where we're going. I'm, you know, like, you know, not what we thought, but hey, God's still, we're doing ministry, but I'm doing a walkthrough one day um, in a house with a homeowner, and I get this call from a number I don't recognize, and so I just ignore it and get through 
the um, walkthrough and, and I checked the voicemail and it's a guy who's a pastor of a church down in Savannah, Georgia. And it's kind of a large church down there. And he said, you don't know me, but I'm so-and-so and I'm looking for an executive pastor. And um, somebody gave me your name and I, I prayed about you for about a month and I think you're the guy. Like, so I'm like, I don't even know who this guy is. Right. So I call him back and I'm, and he's like, Hey, yeah, thank you for calling me back. And I said, well, hey, just to be right up front with you, I've, I'm divorced and remarried. So just want to throw that out there real quick. I always tell people. The scarlet letter. And all of a sudden, what I realized is, less than I made a decision, I'm not going to be intimidated or afraid of my story. I'm, I'm not going to allow you even to define how my story is viewed. I'm going to define it. And so yeah. we started leading with, this is who we are, right? And so he goes, yeah, I know. I'm like, yeah, you, okay. So, <laughs> so what do you want? And he goes... I think you're my next executive pastor and I'd, I'd like you to come down and interview. And I'm like, it was just out of left field. So I, so I went home and told Leslie and she was like, I don't know about this because it had become, we had become comfortable not being in the spotlight of people's opinions. Yeah. And with all the trauma that had happened around that, that's probably, I mean, there's a there has to be a part of you that's like mm, I don't know if I want to sure mm-hmm. so we're convinced we weren't going to do it just like I don't need like because we were raw in an interview like I'm I'm the guy that's not politically correct in an interview because I we've been through what we've been through you know whatever and so uh, it was like a room full of twelve people interviewing us and and so uh, at one point in time we were just real direct and kind but like this is who we are and. And so I walked out and the guy that uh, had called me, he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, hey, man, I like I don't think um, we're good. I think we're just going to head on back. He's like, please don't. He's like, stay one more night. And could you uh, can I come visit you in a minute? I'm like, sure. And he comes over and he's like, it's unanimous. They were all blown away that somebody's so real. We need you in our church. <laughs> so I told Leslie, I was like, well, the one thing I told the Lord, because, again, Debs, Leslie is so much brighter than I am. I have to have it so dumbed down simple that I don't miss it. And so I told the Lord, if it's a majority vote, I'm not doing it. If it's a no vote, that's easy. It's either it's either unanimous or nothing for me because I just, there just can't be any, well, what if and whatever. And, uh, and so when he said that, we were both like, okay. And we jumped back in ministry. Oh my goodness. God is so good. He is a restorer. He is a rebuilder. He is so faithful. And you know what? It is challenging a lot of times. So many people have come from a variety of church backgrounds. And as much as church can do wonderful things, and I'm a champion of the church, you guys are um, believers and people and all that, it can be the grounds for um, a lot of hurt just because of just, I think, well, it's just that religious spirit. And I think a lot of times people mean well, but you just kind of sometimes I step back and I go like, have you read the Bible? <laughs> you know, like God is a God of redemption. It's who he is. And oftentimes the people that he's able to use the most are the ones who have gone through 
you know, really difficult trying times failed. And oftentimes failure is the womb of success. And it strips you of, like you said, pride and your belief that you know everything and that you've got everything figured out and like brings you to that place of like, I'm nothing. (laughs) That's where we found to your point about the church, because I think that is, I'm so thankful you brought that up because I think that is such an important point in the brokenness of humanity and the righteousness and restoration of the savior, because the religious exploit the broken, the, the church, the true church repairs the broken by making them righteous. And I think what we found is the church is absolutely the place for healing if it's not shrouded by the religious who are wanting to control things. And then for us, I think what happened is, is I tell people all the time, part of my journey was learning. I was a Pharisee. And so a religious leader that had way more knowledge than lifestyle And I tell people all the time when I go to celebrate recovery or different, when I get asked to speak places, I I introduce myself as, hey, I'm Andy and I'm a recovering Pharisee, right? And and Jesus has delivered me from religion and shown me who he is because um, for us, we had all the knowledge in in our heads. We had no lifestyle to back that up because... That, that that requires surrender and relationship with Jesus. So um, for people out there listening today that, you know, they're struggling in their marriage and uh, they feel like giving up, is there anything you'd like to say to them? Uh, I got a couple of thoughts. <laughs> One is, remember, you picked this person. <laughs> so true. I've only met one couple in my whole existence that had to get married culturally where yeah. it was arranged. Yeah. Everybody else chose the person they're madly, completely annoyed and angry about right now. (laughs) Like, you chose this individual. You invited me to come watch you marry this woman, and now you're acting like a complete bonehead, like she's crazy. I always tell, like, it's fascinating, right? And so I think the first thing I say is, you both chose this. So you can't say I made a mistake. What you're saying is, I don't like it now when we see each other at our worst. So I think the first thing is, remember, you have to go back to what caused you to make the decision, not where you are, where you are now. Because if you try to repair it from here instead of from the perspective of what made you choose it from the beginning, you, you won't ever it, you will find a reason not to. And I think for Leslie and myself, one of the things that we had to benefit out of screwing it up so bad is we started by dating again. And we started by remembering what made us want to get married to begin with Mm -hmm. and all those conversations. And put all the the differences aside. Do you love each other or not? I do, but she's mean. I do because he's crazy. Okay, time out, stop. You're like, you're talking about circumstances that quite honestly, you contributed to. They weren't crazy before you married them. (laughs) They weren't jerks before they married you. Maybe you're the one that made them crazy. Like, let's just like, what's the ingredient that's different now than when you've met them? You. It's a very good point. Maybe you brought out the worst in them. And maybe, just maybe, this is where we start and go back to the dating phase of saying, let me get to know why. Because from a place of love, you can address anything. 
from a place of accusation, you cannot change a person. If Leslie knows I love her, I can speak into her life about anything. If I know she loves me. So let me give you a real stupid practical illustration of this. Early on in our marriage, I'm preaching and I have this terrible habit of going, um, every time when I speak, um, um, um. And one Wednesday night after I spoke, she came up to me and she said, I said, what'd you think, babe? And she said, well, except for the fact that you said, um, 173 times, it was fantastic. And all I heard was, you hate me, you despise me, and you're not supportive of me. That's what I heard in that. <laughs> and so I was defensive and I'm like, well, what about the Holy Spirit? And I'm just like, blow up, whatever. And I completely created a great fight that night because from a place of complete hurt and offense or whatever, I couldn't hear anything. So a couple of weeks went along and and finally she sat down with me one day and she said, why do you think I'm telling you that? And I said, and I, and I know this should be evident, but I'm just that thick. She said, I love you and I see what God has put on you and I don't want something you can change to stand in the way. And from that point forward, I said, well, every Wednesday night, will you tell me how many times I say it from that point? And you know what happened, began to happen is every week it became less and less and less to where now it became an invitation to intimacy because now I saw she cares about me. And right. when I, when it switched to love, I can, you can change anything. But if it's from a place without love and accusation and distrust, you will change nobody. And, ca- and I always tell people at the beginning of any time I sit down, we don't do counseling anymore like we did because I think we should leave it to the professionals. <laughs> but I always sit down, we sit down with people in crisis. And the first thing I say is, Right? I need to ask you two questions. Do you do you want this to work out? Yes or no? And they always go, I don't know. And I'm like, well, why don't you? Why are you sitting here? Well, because I, I'm looking for you to tell us. And I'm like, well, I can't tell you anything. And by the way, and I have that conversation with you. Pick this. And the second thing is, you've got to be willing for the next several whatever predetermined time to betray somebody to see if you want to make this work. And I said, I'm going to ask you to be a betrayer of one person for the next. 12 weeks, whatever it is. And they're like, okay, I'm going to ask you to betray yourself for the next 12 weeks. And if you'll do that at the end of this, if you can't figure it out, great, no problem. Because compassion and trust are the only things that you can repair anything with. So good. Thank you so much for sharing that. Is there anything, Leslie, that you want to share? I would say one of the core things that I learned from this whole process and everything that we walked through is that it's not really, really over until God says it's over. And there is always, always, always room for him to do the miraculous in any situation because it was dead. Our marriage was dead. Our ministry was dead. Our family was dead. Um, All of it was. And he completely and beautifully resurrected all of those, not just our marriage, not just our family, but our ministry as well. Will you do me a favor as we kind of wrap up today, would you pray for um, our listeners just uh, for their marriages and just for, you know, God to, wherever they are, for God to do a resurrection story for them? So Father, I thank you just for every moment that we have had today to I'm just sitting here in amazement, (laughs) recalling all of these stories, even things that I had never even heard before, and that remembering just the journey that you have brought 
us through. And I know that anyone who hears this story, I believe with all of my heart, will have a sense of hope. Will yeah. have a sense of hope in that you see every, every detail of every aspect of our life, in our marriage, in our relationship, the innermost parts that maybe we don't even talk about with our spouse. Like, you know, you know the inner workings of every husband and every wife, and you know exactly how they tick. And I know, Father, that um, I'm just believing and declaring that um, there will be a marriage reconciled from this very conversation today. There will be someone who hears this and maybe they will just be overcome with with a, a sense of God, you, you really can put it back together. It's beyond repair. And it just, it makes me sick to even think about, I can't even go down that path. But I, I'm just, I'm believing and asking, Father, that, that this story today, our story, would um, just be a beacon of hope in that, God, yeah. you care about every little small detail. You cared about that rainbow, that image that you gave my daughter, and that we were able to see it even come to pass year uh, a year later and so lord I, I thank you for how you're going to move how you're going to speak holy spirit how you're going to speak i just thank you yes amen amen well guys thank you so much i want to close it out i want you guys to look at each other and i want to hear Andy, tell me what you love most and appreciate most about Leslie. And then Leslie, I want you to do the same. <laughs> so what I love most about you, Leslie, is that you have led me to see and know the beauty of who God is and his creativity and his love and compassion for humanity. And I would never knew that before I met you. Oh, that's sweet. Oh, well, I love so many things about you, but if, if I had to say one, it would be that I have never in my life met anyone quite like you. <laughs> you are an amazing, amazing human being and um, your strength, but your warrior and fight mentality, um, you have been the David for our family. And when the battle has been at, at, at the peak, you are always the worshiper. You are always the one that comes on the scene and you encourage us in the Lord and you fight for us. And, and your faith is just like I've never seen in, in anyone in my whole life. That's you. Man, isn't their story incredible? And isn't our God incredible? You know, wherever you are in a relationship, if it's rocky right now, just know God can do a miracle in your marriage. And maybe you're thriving in your relationship, but you know somebody, someone in your world is really struggling. Want to encourage you to share today's episode. And just, I know that it'll give somebody hope. And oftentimes that's what we need to just make it one more day. So guys, we love you. We thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our very first pop-up on Maine. And like always, we can't wait to meet with you here again at First in Maine, your avenue to living well. See you again soon. Mm -hmm.